Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. When putting together your gear, wrap a piece of duct tape around your water bottle. It's barely noticeable, but if another piece of gear breaks or tears... Pull off your tape to make a quick patch or repair. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash LL Bean. LL Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down for me, Slater. Write that down for me, Slater. Hello everyone, welcome back to Write That Down. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Nipper. I edit for FightGameMedia.com. I'm a staff writer at F4WOnline.com, WrestlingObserver.com. And I am back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author and historian and sociologist and broadcast journalist and announcer, Mr. Fumi Saito. Alright, welcome back, friends. So, today, we kick off our deep dive on the history of the Champion Carnival, All Japan's annual spring round-robin tournament. We first, we went over the precursor event to the Champion Carnival, which was JWA's World League Tournament, Japan Wrestling. Uh, that was from 1959 to 1972. Um, it, in a lot of ways, it was similar. It was a round-robin tournament, point system. Uh, when JWA folded, we got the new version of it through Giant Baba. In 1973, we talked about that, the first All Japan Champion Carnival, 1973. We talked about the past winners. We spent a bit of time talking about appearances from, it's like, say, Abdul the Butcher, uh, the first international champion, or Champion Carnival winner, rather. The Funk Brothers, Terry and Dory Funk Jr., Prince Tonga, or Haku, or Meng, uh, we talked about those special appearances throughout the early days of the Champion Carnival. And, of course, we go over each winner year by year. The tournament was held back then. We also spoke about the time when the tournament itself was retired. For a brief time, it was retired from 1983 to 1990. In place of that was the Grand Champion Carnival. ありがとうございます。日本語でなくてもしわけありません。じゃあ、もしもよろしかったら、Spotify、Apple、Stitcher、Downcast などのご利用のプラットフォームでファイトゲームメディアネットワークをご登録いただけると助かります。ありがとう
book, like a, a digital match guide sort of thing. To, it goes along with every single New Japan Strong episode and each match on it for the first two years of the show. Um, I believe there's a sale going on up until, I think, the end of the week, and you can pick it up for $2.99 if you are interested. All right, let's get into it. The history of All Japan Pro Wrestling's Champion Carnival, Part 1. The Champion Carnival wasn't necessarily the first um, round right. robin. It was. Did they they did that in JW? Uh, JW. Uh, oh, actually, it was more like that. The uh, World League, that the big World League thing, that the spring tournament was Ricky Dozen's idea. The big league, you know, World League tournament between 1959 all the way to. 1972, 14 consecutive years. First five years, Ricky Dozen won, you know. Then six, seven, Tayanobori, Tayanobori. Then Giant Baba era begins. And Baba wins, and 26-year-old Antonio Inoki wins 11th annual World League tournament in 1969. Then Baba wins another three years, and then then, then the company start falling out, you know. And uh, 1972, the 14th annual World League tournament was the last one they they had. Uh, I'm talking about JWA. Hmm. Then then the Baba leaves uh, old JWA summer of 1972 and opens up his very own All Japan Pro Wrestling in the fall of 1972. And following 19 following year spring of 1973, Baba already revived this the whole con- tournament concept and named it Champion Carnival. Carnival is like a, almost like a t- touchy, touchy word for wrestling, huh? You know, a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. When you, when you think about it and you think about the roots, you know, it comes yeah, from the carnival. Also, so... Yeah, or carnival men- mentality, you know, that the connotation the word has. But the... Uh, after World League for 14 consecutive years, everybody in you know, all the wrestling fans in Japan knew it was a big thing in spring, and it was more like a, the only real tournament, you know, uh, like all through the year. You know, they had tours, they had title matches, but there was no time like a one month period that the, everybody, all these superstar gather and have single match against one another, and you count the point. And the winning and losing, or the count out, or you know, or the being counted out, or DQ, DQ win, DQ lose, or that the, any draw is zero point or something like that. We had to, we had to remember this, you know, point system. It was interesting, you know. Mm. And you know, like like a carnival, it it comes to your town once a year. It's a seasonal thing. There are a lot of traditional things that you would do things are activities or experiences that they offer it's the same sort of thing with with all japan especially around that time especially around yeah. the time when baba was he had the slogan for all japan about uh, you know bright and like a what was it like oh that, that, wrestling the, oh that doesn't start until 1990 though the slogan oh that, that okay okay but that's even, uh Jum- jumbo and tenru era but, but it even, was more like a even uh, then, it was definitely authentic, the most authentic, though authentic family wrestling. Yeah, that the the name itself, Champion Carnival, uh, that uh, pretty much characterized 
all the champions gonna be in here. And interestingly enough, like the first year, 1973, they had the reception. You know, John Baba brings in his old PWF belt, which was Ricky Dozen, like a Luthes belt, you know, the gold medal mm-hmm. belt. And that uh, Dick Byer brings in his, you know, the Destroyer brings in his US belt that uh, Mark Lewin, the King Curtis Arcade, everybody brought their own championship belt to the table, you know, like a South Hemisphere championship belt from, you know, Australia. The, uh, like a, the championship belt that we didn't recognize, but they they brought the physical belt into the table, you know, to the table. It's like, wow, as a kid, I looked at him and said, wow, those, all those champion belts and just, championship belts are a great thing, right, for kids, hmm. you know? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so everybody brought their this I mean physical championship belt to the reception. All suit and tie, but the wrestlers holding championship belt. I mean everybody had different design, different color, different size championship belt. And I was going, Wow, this is great, you know, and then their champion carnival starts. And nineteen seventy three. So there was no hall that the nineteen seventy-two, the very last year of original JWA, Nippon Pro Wrestling. They held a spring world league tournament. And the very last one, of course, John Baba won. He beat Gorilla Monsoon. Uh, I mean, today's fan probably remember, not today's fan, but the 90s fan probably remember Gorilla Monsoon as a as a WWE, you know, E commissioner and WWE, but the color commentator and oh, also yeah. producer. Like today's Gorilla position that where Vince McMahon's, you know, sit. Mm-hmm. The director's table, producers, the room. They call it Gorilla position because that's where Gorilla Monsoon used to sit. Anyhow, but the, when Gorilla Monsoon was an active wrestler, he was also a big superstar. And, and he was a, a lot bigger, too. He's a big, big guy back then. Big. Yeah, back then in 1960s and early 70s, he was like, yeah, he was like Andre the Giant before there was Andre the Giant. Yeah. He looks like he looked like a moderate, like a Keith Lee these days. Somebody like that. Big, big guy. Maybe even taller. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, he was from an area in New York that was pretty close to where the destroyer was from in uh, right. uh, yeah. Western New York. Western New York, north, right? And like uh, Rochester, not quite I think? New- Yeah, and also college wrestler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also college graduate was teaching degree or something and very intelligent. Yeah, and a lot of the Champion Carnival and, and World League and later Champion um, and for All Japan's Champion Carnival, they the types of wrestlers all had that types of background. All those guys with the belt that you were describing, they all had a kind of am- a legit amateur background. They had um, some kind of, there was a legitimacy to all the big stars that Baba and before that Ricky Dozan would bring in. Right. On oh, the Ricky Dozan's era, there was people like Enrique Torres, that uh, Jesse Ortega, uh, oh, had a Freddie Blassie, Luthes, Dick Hutton. Leonardo Molini, you know, all these like uh, then superstars in early part of 60s, late 50s into 60s, all the, all the superstars from America. But uh, yeah, it, it really signifies uh, that the, the time, the time period that the, the World League did and Champion Carnival did bring in, you know, the current superstars of wrestling scene. Yeah. And First tournament, Champion Carnival, first year was 1973, and it was still tournament. 
you know, like a regular tournament with like a 12 people in it and you just a tournament. So you, just, you win about three matches and go into final. And it was Mark Lewin's very first tour to Japan. Early old Japan, Mark Lewin was pretty big deal that uh, that the giant Bob, you know, Jan Baba wanted to bring in superstar that they, who hasn't been to Japan at the time. And JWA never had Mark Lewin. And at the time, there's a Jim Burnett, Australian WCW, you know, the World Championship Wrestling. Not the WCW later on from Atlanta, Georgia in the 90s, but there was a big, huge company running tours in, down in Australia uh, called World Championship Wrestling. The, and, the, and the boss was Jim Burnett, later on NWA you know, committee. But uh, he had this, you know, all these superstars at the time, they, from America, had toured Australia. On their way back to America, Giant Baba booked those talent to all Japan. That was, a, I think, a political you know, thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why they had, you know, Mark Lewin. They had King Curtis. They had people like Spiros Arion, Killer Kowalski, and all these that the, the superstars who toured Australia then stopped in Japan and had one more tour before they went home to America. And Mark Lewin was a t- tournament final. Baba against Mark Lewin, and Baba won the inaugural uh, champion carnival. It was like, yeah, you and I talked about it b- before the show, that the champion carnival initially was tournament, like regular tournament, then went into round-robin league, round-robin you know, robin type tournament where everybody wrestled everybody else. And there was a couple years that... Uh, that uh, Four, four final of tournament people. What, those four wrestlers, final four, would do the round robin against each other kind of thing. So the first year, Baba won. Okay. The second year, also, Baba beat Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods, late Tim Woods. That the Mr. Wrestling was also the new one that all uh, Japan brought in from America, that the, you know, the original Mr. Wrestling. It was a pretty much, you know, late 60s into 70s superstar in Atlanta, Georgia, right? Mm, masked superstar. Not the yeah, masked the, superstar, but, but the Mr. Masked Wrestling, yeah. superstar, yeah. Yeah, the white mask and the white rim, white trunks and the white boots. And mm-hmm. you wrestle like Mr. Wrestling, another was, college champion. Was yeah. the Destroyer still wrestling at that point with all yeah, the fans? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Destroyer was it was full time all the way till like seventy nine. Oh wow! Yeah, he and his whole family lived in Japan about eight years. Oh, that was the time his family was living in Japan. He was, yeah yeah. Was he working yeah. in these champion carnivals, or was he doing more like tag team matches? Uh he was part of the uh, champ uh, champion carnival. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was also a U.S. heavyweight champion in 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 all Japan. That's the time he was he also over. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then also, yeah, the, 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 the championship belt, that design was so much like uh, old AWA tag team belt, the one Nick Bakuenko and Ray Stevens had, that like a silver medal, squarish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, belt, that design. He was U.S. heavyweight champion, the destroyer was. And also between 73 to 78 or so, like a four-year, five-year period, that the, they had 10 single match against mask against mask you know 
destroyer against tornado, the destroyer against the barracuda, the destroyer against super destroyer, the destroyer against black devil, the uh, destroyer against blue shark. That uh, a lot of the lot of the time they created new mask guy for that match, you know. But the uh, destroyer was doing mask against mask match for the, the ten single matches uh, between seventy three and seventy six, I think. But that's not part of Champion Carnival. Champion Carnival only held once a year, every spring. Second year, 74, was Giant Baba against Mr. Wrestling, Tim Woods, a, a final. Yeah. Then and, uh, 75 was Aging Gene Kniski. Yeah, he, he came in, you know, former world heavyweight champion, NWA world champion. Uh, Baba and Gene Kniski met in final. Then fourth year, 76, surprisingly, Abdur the Butcher beat, DQ finish, of course, but the Abdur the Butcher beat Jan Baba to be the first winner, first international foreign wrestler winner for the Champion Carnival Tournament, 76, Abdur the Butcher. And Interesting, by, this, huh? by that time, I think Abdul the Butcher started to become really, really popular. Or, or oh, my childhood, them. like a childhood memory. It's like every other you know, tour was something to do with Abdul the Butcher. Hmm. <laughs> You know, whereas see, Channel 10's Antonio Inoki's New Japan Pro Wrestling, it was basically Antonio Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh all year, almost. Right. Yeah, they yeah almost, almost gets, every week, it seemed like. Yeah, so, so I, I almost got tired of it because kids watch wrestling like your superhero show, right? Mm-hmm. You want different monster every week. Of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, hero's going to beat him anyway. But for some reason, it, it seemed to me, it wasn't like that, though, because there was like a Hollywood blondes that, you know, Johnny Powers sometimes. But the, it it seemed like, I, I certainly felt like it was Antonio Inoki against Tiger Jeet Singh all year on Channel 4, on uh, Channel 10. And All Japan, Jan Baba's Nippon TV, Channel 4, it felt like it was always Jan Baba against Abdul the Butcher pretty much all year long, all year. <laughs> Different tag team partners and sometimes single match, but uh, it always had Baba and Abdul the Butcher against each other in that ring. It yeah. felt like every week. And on the other hand, <coughs> excuse me, you had all Japan who had, at the time, it felt like all of the big stars, I guess. Oh, from America? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it had the top of the top. Everybody that you'd see in the magazines, anybody that you might be yeah, able to some, see on TV. Yeah, people you, I read about, yes, yes. So, and, But you still need regular, like Abdul the Butcher. Sure. See, br- people like Bruno San Martino, they come in, what, once a year for one week? Right, right? Nick Bockwinkel, yeah. Ric Flair. Maybe once. Oh, Ric Flair won't come in until 80s. Right, but just as an example of like champions example, right? Like come a, in for... important champions, right? Ric Flair come in and do one week tour, right? But they do a three TV taping while he's here or something. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, but it was one week. Yeah, it was like that. But the, you needed regular, I guess. And locally in Japan, Abdul the Butcher is every bit as big as any other superstars in America. Abdul the Butcher was a superstar in Japan at the time. So 76, fourth annual. Uh, okay, Jan Baba, Mark Lewin, Jan Baba, Mr. Wrestling, Jan Baba against Jane Kaniski. Fourth year, 76, Baba against Abdul the Butcher, and Abdul the Butcher became first international um, American win, 
Well, they didn't say he was from America at the time. He was built from, he was from Sudan. Sudan, a madman from the Sudan. <laughs> yeah, remember? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he was Canadian. But still, right, right. But uh, 1976 version of Abdullah the Butcher, very much so he's in, in his prime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And was the and Sheik, Sheik involved too around that time? Sheik was one of those, Sheik was one of those superstars probably coming once a year for one week tour. Okay. So he's one of the top tier, the, the big celebrity, almost celebrity uh, appearances that they would get. Yeah. Yeah. But a little bit later on, like into late 70s, into early 80s, when Abdullah the Butcher and the Sheik was a regular tag team partner, that the Sheik did a little bit more mm -hmm. in Japan. Mm -hmm. But by then, Detroit territory was dying, you know? I see. Yeah, so the, the, we'll learn a lot about that, you know, when you look back. Mm. But uh, 76, Abdullah the Butcher beat Jan Baba and became winner. And 77, 77 they did something uh, very interesting. Jan Baba and Young Jumbo Tsura met for the final. Japanese against Japanese. Interesting, huh? That was the first time, yeah. So they'd already been doing it for almost 10 years, and it wasn't until then they had a Japanese star versus, I guess, the, the younger, a junior Japanese star. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Right. Yeah, because in 77 version of Jumbo Tsura, what, the fourth year into professional and uh, still considered not rookie, but uh, the guy, that uh, pretty much young guy, you know, mm -hmm. Jumbo Tsura wearing red trunks and red boots, you know, almost beat Baba, but sure enough, Baba beat him. And the final, Jan Baba beat Jumbo Tsura in 70, uh, 77. Then 78, it was back. Uh, back to Giant Baba against Abdullah the Butcher. Yeah. And they did, 79, they did the final. Baba wasn't even involved. The the tournament, the round-robin tournament final was 79. Jumbo against Abdullah the Butcher this time. Interesting, huh? See, mm -hmm. when you look back, you can see the prog, you know, those big progress in your little layout of the superstars, you know who's above who and who's a little underneath who and who's running a, you know, top program and all these things. And 77, Baba beat Jumbo. And in 78, the tournament final was Jumbo against Abdullah the Butcher. Then Abdullah the Butcher beat Jumbo and became second time winner in 70, 78. Uh, no, Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, oh Butcher, oh, wait, back, 78, back to Baba against Butcher, and Baba beat him 
again, but the 79, it, 79, it was Jumbo against Abby then. And Abby beat Jumbo. And uh, yeah, so he, he won the tournament for the second time, 79. Then 1980, they did something different that the Jumbo Tsura against Dirty Dickie Slater. Yeah. And Jumbo won for the uh, champion carnival for the first time, 1980. So he had to wait until 1980 then. Yeah. Interesting, huh? So one thing about, about the champion carnival and you see it at the G1 and you usually see it at any type of big tag league tournament is that in Japan, Japanese wrestling, there's always this, um, like an opening ceremony introducing all the competitors with flowers and all with that flowers yeah. and yeah. everybody every lines participant up will be in the ring with your your music plays and everybody like 20 guys in the ring at the same time and all costume you know mm-hmm. yeah or, or yeah, like I, I like warm-up uh jersey or, or right right well, Abdul the Butcher always had this, you know, the, the Sudan turban thing. Mm-hmm. And and he'd always yeah. do some kind of angle there where he'd, you know, run into the crowd or, or there was some sure. pre-match story where him and Terry Funk or him and Giant Baba got into Sure, it. sure. It's like running big angle, huh? Yeah, it, it, it kind of was like the uh, setting yeah, the tone for the new, tournament. Because huh? New Japan's, you know, New Japan version of, you know, mid-70 World League, you know, way before G1 Climax. And New Japan switched the World League into Madison Square Garden Series, where they had all the New York WWF superstars of the 70s coming in for the Inoki show. And same time, spring tournament. Baba had the champion carnival with all the NWA superstars, you know, in the ring. And yes, both companies had the ceremony, opening ceremony. What's interesting is though, the television exec network executive was in that ring too, though. In the running round, it's like, well, I'll all get scared. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, you, you could kind of see the backstage was out in the front, in, right in the ring. It was. It felt like everything was getting underway. If you watch any of the old videos, yeah, and then non, and this, this non-wrestling TV executive or some pres, some big corporate president or something, reading, you know, in the middle of the ring, they're reading some certification, yeah, written, you know, that the sanctioned by National Wrestling Alliance and promoted by Pacific Wrestling Federation and promoter all japan pro wrestling we hereby you know this and this that to recognize this tournament as champion official champion carnival tournament what's the point reading it but the, they did such like a boxing title match or something right hmm. that made gave wrestling legitimacy though you know it did it, it definitely felt like an official event like a really important event you should yeah and in, in the opening night you know right right yeah then they they give you two important single matches too usually sure yeah you get you probably get the uh, one of the biggest matches of the tournament right on those or anticipate yeah they got some to anticipate you know paid this might be the tournament final card again you know like one month later yeah like yeah. a possible preview yeah something like that 
and also create a drama where somebody and somebody run into each other and then and, and they have to settle score in that ring this month sometime exactly something. yeah uh, uh, Josh Barnett's blood sport does that every blood oh, really? sport event yeah he does the same same thing he has all of the uh, competitors stare down contest the last time uh, Chris Dickinson and, and then Minoru Suzuki got into it and oh, of course cuz they had the yeah. match later on in the night stare down contest sure yeah or pull apart the oh, pull other apart. wrestlers of course. have to uh, pull, pull everybody apart. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I like that. Well, but, it works. It's classic. Yeah, it's and a it formula was, that's done for century. You know, it's and with the uh, the time that we're talking about, though, the late seventies, early eighties, with especially with Abdul the Butcher, they were pretty uh, high energy, uh, wild affairs. Sometimes where. It was yeah, chaos by the end of it. Complete chaos. Abdul the Butcher and Sheik, you know, a little older. And then there was a Funk, Story Funk Jr. and Terry Funk. Then there's Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody era, the, you know, much younger than you know all of them, right? And bigger. And, uh, yeah. So the t- time, you know, you can really see the, who are the current superstars in that mm-hmm. ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the older stars and newer star, and it's, it's kind of mixed, and it's a real nice feeling. And know? you could also uh, figure out who the lesser stars are. You definitely know a little, little bit, and also it's a tournament round robin situation that the, there's a couple wrestlers who lose every single tournament matches. Somebody <laughs> like uh, Kojika or, or um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, um, a few Americans who did that too. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Oh gosh, what was his name? Ray Candy. Do you remember Ray Candy? Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't think he lost everything, but Kari Mohammed. Yeah, later on. Yeah. He, he he got into it with Baba. I, I one of the um, I think it was one of those openings. All right. Well, this is part one of you know history of champion carnival. So by next week, I, I'll look up every single participant in every single year. You know who who was doing that? Yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll know? go over that. There's a, I think. What was the point system? Was it just one point for a win? Uh, I think this is like a, it, it varies. You know, depends on what they did. You know, each year. Sometimes two points in winning, but the count out winning give you only one point or something. One year they, there was like a, if it's double count out or time you know time up draw, they give you one point each person. Or sometimes some year they did zero point for any draw. And also DQ win. And pinfall and submission win. Some year they gave same points, but if it was DQ winning, they give you only one point or something. Hmm. That make that the tournament points that much, you know, more interesting because by one little one little point, who's going to the final or something? You know, like a, you know, leave you with suspense, you know, all the way till final week. Does that make sense? Hmm. Was wasn't Jack Briscoe in one of the champion carnivals? 81-ish, yeah, but he was after his prime time, though. Right, right. That that year, Bruiser Brody beat Jack Briscoe in the in the ring easily. Already. That for for uh, for somebody my age, like in the late thirties, forties, it was harder to see the footage of of Jack Briscoe in his prime. So it was easier oh, to okay. see videos. Oh, these of him are in Japan. the video you watch. Oh. Because then that was I, the most I, current, you know, at the at the uh, time. Okay. I can find you Jack Briscoe against Dory Funk Jr. videotape from 1973 or 72. Those were their prime time, prime years. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, now it's great because you can just type it all in and, into YouTube and it's there. Yeah, but... no, you you could probably find it. But right, nineteen eighty three Jack Briscoe wasn't exactly what you think of Jack Briscoe. Right, I, he was still great, but in the name, you just read the name over and over in the magazines, but. Right, yeah, right. It oh, wasn't... same thing over here too. There was yeah. like a Bruiser Brody against Billy Robinson in Japan, but that was already 1982. Yeah, you know? like a, a dream match that's a couple years late, maybe seven, eight years late. More like a five, yes, ten yeah. years too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the back to 79, uh, 1980, it felt like Jumbo's era had begun. You know, Jumbo Tsuda beating Dick Slater with his high German suplex hold and Jumbo wins high stakes championship tournament for the first time, you know, and uh, it wasn't Abdul the Butcher, but they gave the spot to Dick Slater. Dick Slater was was like, uh, you're, you're almost like a carbon copy Terry Funk. He works like Terry Funk, hmm. you know, right-handed Terry Funk, we said. Terry Funk is South Pole, that the left-handed, right? But uh, he wrestled dick slater wrestled just like terry funk but just right-handed hmm. same hair in the curly hair same brunette same blue trunks and spinning tall hold all these things but uh, so so dick slater is much bigger star in japan than he was in america hmm. yeah really he's another name that when i was watching wrestling he was in wcw uh you know the tag team with bunkhouse buck um ah okay well, he was, that was later year yeah. positioned a little bit differently than he was uh early yeah. on dick murdoch dick slater tag team was interesting though so where did the were the funks at their kind of peak popularity around In, this time too what but the funks it was an interesting calendar that the terry funk dory funk coming for a summer action series okay. It, okay when kids are out of school in july you know Terry Funk usually come in July and December. School's out. All the kids are coming. You know what I'm saying? And he's and always also, there. Yeah, he was always there. He, see, Terry Funk and Dory Funk didn't have those one-week tour. When he came in, he was here for all five weeks. Those were Yeah, and those were like late 70s into early 80s. Those were the days that all these, you know, young kids fans we're going to hotel lobby, wait for Terry Funk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was kind of like a real, They well, at least from looking at the magazines and how he was presented on television, they were like the real cowboys of the United States that came over oh, to Japan. Oh, yes, from Amarillo, Texas. For real Amarillo, life Amarillo. <laughs> Texas cowboys. And he wears that cowboy boots and 10-gallon hat and uh, whatnot, the uh, flannel shirt, all these things, yes. Texas flag big, tights. Yeah, and then big, you know, like in regular clothing, like a big belt buckle, like, you know, metal big buckle, like Texas thing. Mm-hmm. Cowboy yeah, boots. Yeah, oh, Of course. Cowboy boots, like every day at a hotel. <laughs> and Terry Funk always makes sure that uh, he would sign autograph until the very last kid. Doesn't matter how many kids are in, in hotel lobby, you know. Hundreds, I mean, hundreds. Get take, you know, get picture taken with Terry Funk, and get autographs until he he stands there and does that until every last kid, and you know, it's like super popular, you know. People got to also realize, I mean, 
when you say hundreds of kids, you mean hundreds of kids. Yeah, yeah. If yeah, you can find I, footage no or watch the TV, like he was just, yeah, he was like a rock star. He was yeah, really yeah. popular. And very much, very, he wasn't the first, but the very much first uh, American baby face that got so popular, you know? Uh, yeah, there was, you know, like people like uh, Billy Robinson, Carl Gotch, who wrestled so strong, clean style wrestling, no heelish, nothing. So positioned babyface. But Terry Funk was the first one, like a real, I mean, real fan favorite, you know. That then they always had a match against people like Abdul the Butcher and, and, and the Sheik. So it'll make you babyface, of course, and work like a babyface. And uh, yeah, people really, really loved him. But the Funks was interesting enough, enough that the, he was never in that championship carnival tournament. You know why? Because now that we're all grown up, <laughs> that we understand that in the, in the championship, you know, champion carnival tournament, round robin tournament, that uh, you wrestle everybody, single match, right? Once. Mm -hmm. You'll be doing winning and losing, you know, for the point system to make it make the tournament interesting. And Teddy Fong shouldn't lose. Hmm. What do you think? Right. So if you put him in the tournament, it might lower his value in the eyes of the fans. If you lose a little too. bit. And, uh, and also, champ, the name, Champion Carnival, you know, the to tour itself was big that you almost don't want to have Terry Funk in there. For Terry, for summer, like a July summer action series tour and the end of the year real tag team tournament thing, that's where the Funks you know, should be the featured superstar. Does that make sense? So they should have, or the idea is that they should be a package deal. It should be outside of the champion carnival. Right, right. So, yeah, for some reason, yeah, I wondered about that as a kid. Uh, Dick Slater's in it. Those Karras is in it, but never Mill Maskers. Because if you put Mill Maskers in tournament, you still have to, you know, he has uh, still has to win everything, right? <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, so Mill Maskers was never in that, you know, champion carnival tournament. But they had Mill Maskers' younger brother, Dos Karras. Dos Karras against Abdul the Butcher, and Abdul the Butcher beat Dos Karras. Then re for the revenge, like a follow, you know, like the following tour, that Mill Maskers flying from Mexico to have revenge against Abdul the Butcher, his his brother, and then that's a big match for the summer. That's it, it. Really designed this whole thing real carefully. Yeah, I think those er, the the eighties, the the last couple carnivals before they stopped doing it in the eighties, we saw. He was called Prince Tonga back then, but today we call him Haku. Haku, yeah, or Ming, yeah. Ming, yeah, he, he was right. uh, a, a really young Prince Tonga, ex-sumo. Right. Sumo wrestler in Japan. Mm -hmm. it, uh, his name, he, his real name is Tonga, too. He came to Japan when he was age of 15 and lived here for like four or five years before he, you know, that uh, something happened politically and he had to go home and uh, the, the sumo stable had the, the problem at, at the time. And he pretty much didn't really make it all the way to Yokozuna or anything like that, but he was still young. Then he came back to Japan and Baba made a deal with, you know, Prince Tonga, Tonga and he, therefore you are a professional wrestler now. And then he was also sent to the Amarillo, Texas 
to the funks to train. Same formula. Wow. And the Ming was the, the Haku. He was always treated as like a Japanese wrestler. He spoke the language too. Right. He I was going to ask because he is he fluent with Japanese. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was learning, oh, very like very fluent. Wow. Oh, very fluent. No accent. He speaks Japanese. He was and in one of talk the to him in Japanese. First matches I ever saw in person, I was six years old. I saw him and Ricky Steamboat at a WWF match. Oh, really? But, but he was, was already oh, he was already Haku then. He was King Haku. It was like the second match on the show. Uh, uh, did he have like a devastating looking drop kick, barefooted drop kicks? He did the savat kicks a lot. I ah, remember. Okay, okay. With a loud okay. slap. Athlete, is it now he's heavy, but he was really, really athletic. Uh, he was great. Him and uh, the with the Islanders. Do you remember them? Uh, with him and Fatu, him and uh, right Tonga oh, Kid. Fatu's, Tonga Kid is an, another cousin of Anu Eyes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were yeah. they were very uh, more athletic than everybody else in the ring, and they did a lot before of before they had gotten heavier. Yeah, they were very. <laughs> yeah. good. I mean, they were some of my uh, best early memories at watching those old videotapes, like you oh, said, okay. with Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. You know, that, uh, he was under contract and full time with WWF, so he never, you know, he didn't come back to Japan, you know, for a long time. But he originally was trained under All Japan, Jan Baba, and the Funks. So he was like Japanese wrestler. Very and, much. And so got si- yeah, was signed away with WWF, so there he moved to America, hmm. pretty much. Uh, he did show up a couple times with uh, with the Tenru's group. With, sure, uh, sure. Andre the and, Giant. Right, not heel. He was always treated here as big baby face, and also now that you know that the his son in New Japan, so he's he comes back sometimes. Three sons, three sons yep, in New Japan. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, this is a legacy, and uh, yeah, it's there. But he's like a senior, but the, at the time, the Prince Tonga later on Haku, he was the you know like a young. You know, prospect in, in Japanese ring. Interesting, huh? Very much so. And there were a lot of um, kind of names that you would you'd see in a champion carnivals that they did. Oh, like on young to... Bob Orton. They call sure. Bob Orton Jr. Yeah, and also young Ted DiBiase years before he was Million Dollar Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh and God, yes. Ted DiBiase all in all Japan is is a pleasure to see always because it was really you could see how talented Ted DiBiase really was. Right, as a wrestler. As yes. a wrestler, I mean, of course, WWF Million Dollar Man. He had to do that. He was the best at that. Nobody could touch him in that, and it completely changed his career. But be, he didn't necessarily need that. He well, in ring, yeah, ability, talent, very right. talented, great wrestler, wrestler. great wrestler. Yeah. And uh, you could see it in a lot of those uh, uh, matches. Probably ch- check them out on YouTube now or something. But... Did he do uh, in in Million Dollar Man days? Was he still doing Power Slam? Real good looking Power Slam. It would be uh, not in the jobber matches and enhancement matches, but in the uh, bigger pay per view matches. Or he did that. Okay. How about the, the original fist drop? Yeah, you know, he takes the side bump, side bump, and just uh, drop his fist. You could even do that in the uh, video game WrestleFest. Mm. What, you call it fist drop? Yeah, fist drop. Okay, that's pretty much original, his thing. And he yeah. also did the same kind of elbow drop off the top rope Tenru did. Oh, the backward. 
kind of right. backward one that you see. Shinro right, Takagi right. does it climb, now too. Climb up to climb up to turnbuckle and lands, you know, like a backward. Yeah, almost like a just dive off, no twisting or turning, just dropping right, the elbow. Right, right. Oh yeah, Tenru does that. Later on, Kyoko Inoue did that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that right. Ted DiBiase was doing that first. And Tenru and uh, DiBiase, Amarillo, Texas. It's all kind of connected to that. That's right. Circle. And useless trivia that there was a young Onita against Ted DiBiase way back when in Amarillo, Texas. Wow. What a match. <laughs> Onita, of all people. Uh, he was but just he in was... the States uh, yeah. this month. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Onita and Ted DiBiase met up again for the first time in like 40 years hmm. at the WrestleCon or the, the, the FanFest thing. You know, if you watch any of these older... Um champion carnival matches on on the internet or wherever you watch it now you'll see onita at ringside very young oh onita yeah top the, and bottom yeah jerseys. yeah wearing yeah. the the red jersey or red jacket yeah red, young onita and you, you still find real young masafuchi or somebody sure and, yeah uh, yeah all, kojika okuma yeah all these people yeah, that's always another interesting little thing to watch. Yeah, for who, now. who's around the ring? Yeah, lots well, of that celebrities. That happens in New Japan too. You know, young Nobuhiko Takada, young Akira Maeda. Mm -hmm. You know, Funaki ah, oh, Suzuki. Yeah. Oh God, yes. Or oh, even uh, into early '80s, you you know, like '84 footage, or oh, even uh, Inoki against Brody match, 1985. Chono, Masa Chono is attending Inoki and carrying the in his costume. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but but we have to go back to Champion Carnival thing. 81, you know, Baba win again. And 82, Baba beats Bruiser Brody to win the tournament. Brody and Ted DiBiase and Jumbo and Baba for the final night, that was the same points. And uh, Bob, that, uh, Baba beats Brody for the uh, championship, you know, uh, the tournament winning at the, the final. So Baba would still win 73, 74, 75, 77, and 81, 82. And that was the end of it, pretty much. See, Stan Hansen era starts 1982 with all Japan. So that's when Giant ba Baba pretty much, yeah, altogether stepped down from the main event spot. And between eight, 1983 and 1990, so for eight year period, they did not have this round robin tournament type, you know, situation. That the day between 1983 and 1990, they were they renamed the tour Grand Grand Championship Carnival. They bring in the Funks, they bring in Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, they bring in Hardy Race, they bring in Nick Bachwinkle, the you name it, right? And uh, that was a Grand Champion Carnival, but not tournament. That was between 83 and 90. It was for a TV rating, you know, reason. And also, Baba told the press that uh, if you have round-robin tournament, that, that there's a lesser important matches you have to provide, you know, like outside, you know, that uh, when you have 40-day tour, that uh, you go outside, you know, you go out, out of town and you go to a smaller town around the country. And then those local promoters who bought the show, they wanted to have top program, right? If you call it Champion Carnival. But the, with round robin tournament situation, you will have to have 
less single matches as a tournament match and, and you know local promoters around the country weren't so happy about it so instead baba wanted to provide all superstar show during that time period does that make mm -hmm. sense yeah it, it had a different feel than the new japan shows of the time different sort yeah, of offering yeah, around the same time, New Japan was all Madison Square Garden tournament, and and you know, in '83 on, that the IWGP tournament where they they were going to you know create the undisputed world championship or something, mm -hmm. and Inoki against Hulk Hogan, Inoki against Under the Giant and stuff like that. And when you call it IWGP, you know that the uh, undisputed world champion to be created, but in reality most of the american wrestlers were from wwf you know right yeah yeah how cold how before his yellow tights you know mm -hmm. the, the early 80s version of how Hogan wearing black trunks with ichiban riding on it and silver boots you know like, kimono like to the ring right and, and it worked japanese side as a baby face and andre being heel you know which is opposite from states and you name every talent from you know from you know WWF like you know you had Big John Studd, Dino Bravo, the uh, Adrian Adonis, the not the tournament, but the you had Paul people like Paul Ondorf, the Iron Sheik, the you know lot of lots of WWF wrestlers were with New Japan at the time, and all Japan had the. A more NWA National Wrestling Alliance oriented champion. NWA meant NWA here and there, right? NWA what? Uh, Jim Crockett, NWA. That uh, also uh, in early part of eighties, Fritz von Erich's World Class was still affiliated with All Japan. So there was you know Ric Flair against Kerry von Erich in Japan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, yeah, around that time period, it was interesting because. You know, when uh, right after David Von Erich died in Japan, there was like a uh, parade of champion in Texas Stadium where Kerry Von Erich beat Flair for the NWA world title. It's a famous match, right? Mm -hmm. Very famous. Very famous yeah. reaction. People were crying yeah. afterwards. Right. And right after that, Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair toured Japan together, and there was a title switch in Japan. Ric Flair beat Kerry Von Erich in Yokosuka and bring the title home kind of thing. So I guess that uh, Kerry Von Erich dropping the title, uh, they didn't want to do it in Texas, you know? And uh, Ric Flair had to have title back somewhere, sometime, right? And they had Jai Baba to promote that match. So and it's funny that it was in Yokosuka, the military base in the US, because if they wanted to do the, keep the kayfabe storyline going, Technically, that area where they had the match is part of it is what, you know, uh, U.S. like uh, official territory in certain areas. So they could say, you know. That happened in America? Happened in America. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but Yokosuka is Japan. And it is, yeah. Big, yeah. big base, big base, though, U.S. base, yes. Yeah. But that, that they didn't do the title match in Tokyo, huh? Right, uh, right. But it was taped and the f footage exists and uh they played in you know they brought the video footage home and uh, they aired that in in during this nwa world championship wrestling crockett tv yeah 
So, but anyhow, that was champion Carnival. But back to 1991, mm. they uh, yeah, when it started, came back. Uh, yeah, came back, and sure enough, sure enough, this 1991 version of version of of Jumbo Thriller win the tournament. By then, there's a triple crown. See, there's like a two value to it: champion Carnival tournament winner and triple crown champion. If the tournament winner wasn't the the, the 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 triple crown champion at the time, that the champion carnival tournament winner will automatically challenge triple crown champion the following tour. It was very high stakes. It was very much the. It, it felt like, um, yeah, and like you said, Jumbo was in a different position than he was when the champion carnival yeah, was happening. Yeah, and then by 1991, no more blue, red, and, and uh, you know, stripe and, and the star trunks. Jumbo was black trunks and black boots guy, you know, mm-hmm. the real champion. A little heavier, a little older. Yeah, yeah, a little heavier, a little older, right. A so little 91 turn- smiling. Right, right, aged a little bit, but because you have younger guys, up-and-coming up guys. So 91... Champion Carnival winner was Jumbo. 92 winner was Stan Hansen. And 93 winner, Stan Hansen again. And 94 was a very interesting year. Toshiaki Kawada wins Champion Carnival for the first time, beating Steve Williams. Clearly new era, huh? What was the crowd reaction like when when he won? Kawada Uh, won the tournament against Steve Williams. When... um... When like did you feel like the crowd was ready for Kawada to? Yeah, I think so because yeah. Kawada was you know people's especially all Japan Pro Wrestling's favorite underdog. If you remember uh, Tenru and Kawada tag team, and Tenru never lose. You know, and it's it was always Kawada you sure. know, giving great matches. But the, at the end of the you know end of the day, it was always Kawada who get beat. And then 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 there was. Stan Hansen Kawada, you know, tag team for one tour that uh, that really elevated Kawada. But uh, the ta- when that Stan Hansen Kawada tag team duo loses the match, yeah, it was Kawada at the end of the night, you know, taking a fall. And it was like, when would Kawada start winning, right? So the, 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 during the match, he gives the greatest things, and I'm talking about the content of the matches. And the people are always, you know, behind this Kawada, Kawada. He looks so serious, right? And, uh, yeah, people are ready. But he didn't quite beat Stan. He beat Steve Williams to win the tournament in 94. And following year, it was Misawa's time. So it was interesting. Kawada won the champion carnival tournament before Misawa ever won it. And it was kind of... Yeah, it was kind of the... You know, Misawa always had the titles. He always had the triple crown. He'd always win. He'd often win champion carnival. But this was the first time it felt like Kawada had something to balance their right, rivalry. right. First big win, I guess. Yeah. But it, without giving the triple crown win away, it still was valuable, and it really yeah. elevated Man, Kawada. Kawada by. against Misawa single match will mean that much more. Mm-hmm. And they had yeah. a, a very meaningful match. I think soon after. I think it was a couple months after this. When, when Kawada won the champion carnival was the kind of uh, among a lot of fans 
people say it's the best match of all time, the 1994 Kawada Misawa. Oh, is there? Oh, I've watched Kawada Misawa match so many times. I don't know which one was which. This is the one that uh, Dave Meltzer gave six stars to. Oh, oh, what was it? Oh, okay. And then we have to go back and watch it. Mm. The following year, 95, Misawa won the championship carnival for the first time, beating Akira Taue. That mm -hmm. elevated Taue. Yeah. Because interestingly right. enough, yeah. Interestingly enough, that the following 1996 tournament, Taue wins champion carnival tournament for the very first time, beating again Steve Williams. Yeah, he uh, was sort of a late bloomer, Akira Taue, because he, he was. When he started out, he was sort of he was paired with Giant Baba and Jumbo. Right. Yeah, it was tall and dressed up like Giant Baba too. His red trunks. But like you said, I mean, people accepted him, but it wasn't the same until the. Oh, because he's not fired up, you know, so blob, right? I mean, just so plain, you know. Mm. Yeah, and doesn't have a great body. Yeah. Yeah, ex sumo kind of looks like uh, you know with Giant Baba's cousin or son <laughs> yeah and then he's standing in the ring like he doesn't want to be there or something yeah. sure and yeah i notice i i don't know if it's me but sometimes i notice that with wrestlers like koji kitao or ex sumo guys that kind oh, of, oh yeah yasuda for sure yeah or even or like a naoya ogawa there's kind of a, they're doing the wrestling but they're kind of embarrassed while they do it <laughs> or something Probably wasn't exactly wrestling fans, a kid or something. Right. They're like kind of yeah. contemptful about the whole thing, but they're still doing it, like reluctantly doing it. Uh, maybe. Yeah. But then they must love what they were doing or they wouldn't do it. That's right. You know, it just right. doesn't show it. But back to this three consecutive year, which was transition period 93 winner Kawada. Uh, no, 94 winner Kawada and 95 winner Misawa, 96. You know, in winner Tower, they're all they're, those three are all elevated. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's when things really uh, solidified, and that yeah, era... the 97, 97 champion current world tournament final was another interesting one. Kawada against Kenta Kobashi, Kenta Kobashi's tournament final for the first time, not mm -hmm. winning, but the tournament final at the Budokan was Kawada against Kobashi on top. So. It's just that's today, not today, but the, at the time, the, the newest main event. I th yeah. Was that the one that they did the three-way, uh, the three-way finals? With the... probably, I have I th to. My memory. I'm sorry, my memories are not as as good. Yeah. I think I think that was the one where it was. Misawa had the same point. Yeah, and they had a thirty-minute draw. First. Yeah, I, I think that might have been the one that was the one that, like you said, that was when Kenta Kobashi became sort of the guy, the next guy right. in all Japan. Like the fourth guy of the, the final piece of the pillar, right? Sure. Yeah. 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 By 97 and then 1998. In 1998, yeah, 1998 had... tournament, Misawa, Misawa won again, this time against Jun Akiyama. Right, the wild card. He was that was kind of the year that people started to pay attention to Akiyama, but he led right, like a, as a fifth guy, yeah, I'm just as good, every bit as good, but more of a timing thing than anything else. Why he didn't 
get a chance to to shine like he did because the 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 company split and the pro wrestling no he was the he was more the Noah guy I think these days in people's minds. Right. Oh, Jun Akiyama. Right. Yeah. The, but the, the white blue trunks. Tights. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's right. my yeah. The, my memory is the blue tights and the the cool hair. With old, yeah, with old Japan. Right. Yeah. And very young look. As, yeah. Just as soon as the Noah opens up, he changed to white trunks with a white jacket. Yeah. Very, yeah, almost very interesting. different identity. Yeah, so it's almost like yeah, the at the path time it was like a dead it's end. It's nothing again. It's nothing bad about it, but the, it was Mrs. Baba Motoko Baba that the, who made sure that the, Kobashi would be wearing orange, orange only. Uh, Akiyama would be wearing the blue trunks only, and Kawada has his black and yellow, you know, you know, long tights, and Misawa always have emerald, you know, emerald green, green trunks, green long tights with Misawa. That the, you have your own color and cannot change the color of your tights. Did you know that? I didn't know that it was Motoko Baba that was uh, that. Yeah, that was her. That. That's a kind yeah. of. I think it's a, a one of the most what's the word? Not just interesting, but like effective parts of that period. It was those it's a colors. Marketing. Yeah, yeah, but it's very you associated with it, and it's good. I think this really appeals to the international audience because it's such a fundamental way of expressing. You know, when I see the green and white, I think most people think Misawa. It's Misawa. Yeah, of green course. and silver actually. Green and silver, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Or, or even you know the black neon, and neon yellow. color orange, neon color oh, orange. That's Kobashi. Kobashi. of course. Yeah. And he he changed too. He changed to. I always like the progression of the burning. Yeah, Misawa didn't want to do that. But the, when you have this whole freedom with Norzak, that the first thing they did to change the image that was created by the old company, Old Japan, and then Kobashi even went ahead and changed to black and purple. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Akiyama changed to white and silver. Yeah. Misawa yeah. didn't change though. Misawa, that was those yeah, were that his was colors. His, and also, Misawa made the canvas very initial pro wrestling or wrestling canvas. Right, the the green canvas. Yeah, of course, that's him. That's his ocean now. And it's everybody got on Norzak and got on the cruise and shipped to the new ocean and the new landed. Therefore, your new land would look like emerald green. Very symbolic. Huh. Yeah, it was like a new land, new new uh, adventures, and with with Kawada yeah. on the other side, he he kept those he colors. Stayed, of course, of he kept course. the colors, but the 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 colors would. Uh, I remember seeing him in our favorite company, Hustle, that we like to talk oh. about. But he would keep <laughs> he would keep the colors, but they would be applied Yellow. to like a jumpsuit yeah, or he um. He uh, was making sure that Toshiaki Kawada of Old Japan Pro Wrestling and Dangerous K of Hustle, two different person. Ah, okay, so different <clears throat> identity, yeah, but the same yeah, color. Well, same color, but the jumpsuit, right, in all yellow and doing funny things. That was Dangerous K. He never called himself Toshiaki Kawada around that time period. I mean, with Hustle, right? So he said it was two different things. He really said it was a thing. Yeah, and then also, yeah, sad reality was that, you know, that the 2004 version of Old Japan wasn't paying him enough. And he took the hustle dates, you know. And mm. yeah, hustle had money, you know, pride money. 
Yeah, Pride meaning like the MMA company at the time. See, wrestling company Hustle that existed with the five-year period. The funded by MMA company Pride. When Pride went down, Hustle went down. That's another subject for another day. But uh, yes, champion kind of like a blessing today. in disguise, as they say. <clears throat> I think so. Yeah, <laughs> but right in the middle be a dark age of professional wrestling. You know, oh, really, yeah. kind of like a like a, a symbol of the dark age, right there. I think so. One of yeah. the, the big ones. Um, yeah, because uh, the hustle they had great muta in there. You know, not Keiji Muto, but the, when 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 he appeared in Hustle Ring, he was always great muta. And Kawada appeared in Hustle in the worked Hustle style show. He was Dangerous K. And later on, he became that name became his ramen house. That's right. That's right. In <laughs> uh, Setagaya or something. Yeah, and then he still runs it. By the way, he has great karaage too. Chicken Ooh, karaage. Uh, yeah. Like Japanese style fried chicken for those out there right, who haven't right. experienced a wonderful karaage. Yeah. Um, yeah. He he he's a definitely his look. Him and Taoe look very different these days uh, compared to our images oh, of him in our head. Just aged and stayed in a stepped out of ring without having like a real retirement match. Because Kawada to this day say he is not retired. You know, because wrestlers are such animal, you know, creature that you know someday, sometime you might want to go back to the ring one for one last time, right? So he never said I retired. He's basically retired, though, but uh, he hasn't really announced his official retirement because there might be a day that uh, you felt, you know, you feel like going back to the ring one for the, one last time, and he's very honest about it. Mm. And uh, on, the other, on the other hand, Akira Taue aged so quick right after he retired. Mm. <clears throat> All gray hair now. Much, very thin, and I mean, he looks like a civilian. Like if we were on the train, <laughs> yeah, you would well, never think he, he was a He's a restaurant owner. Sure, Kawada runs his ramen house, right? And Tawe Akira owns steak restaurant. I didn't know that. I didn't yeah, know he, that because he didn't. Tawe doesn't want wrestling fans to come in. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a wrestling place, please. <laughs> it's just a regular restaurant. <clears throat> Right. Mom and pops. You know? I see. I see. He, he and his kids. I mean, wife and kids run it. Not even in Tokyo. I think it's in, up in Tochigio somewhere. Yeah, I learned uh, that uh, Tiger Jeet Singh has, well, at least he had a restaurant in... Um... Korea House? No, this was in somewhere in Nagoya. It was called Guns. It was ah. a, like an Indian restaurant. Indian restaurant. I said it was a Korea House, yeah, but uh, yeah, oh, Indian uh... restaurant. Oh yeah, yeah, Curry House Indian restaurant. Yeah, sorry. Um, I believe that's what it was, but I don't right. know if it's still it was, there. There might be because it's run by his sponsor. Oh, okay. So yeah, sponsor meaning that the Tiger Jet Singh names on it, but he never actually run day to day business there. If it makes sense. But we sidetracked so much that, uh, you know, <laughs> back to this 95, uh, 94 Kawada winner, 95 Misawa, 96 Taue, 97 Kawada again, 98 Misawa, and 99 was another symbolic that the Vader came in and became the first entry that for the championship carnival tournament, and he became the winner of the tournament in 1999, beating Kobashi. 
Very good match, I remember. I remember that that whole run of Vader uh, after he left WWE and got a chance to He really... wasn't happy. And also, the, the first Gaijin American Grand Slam winner, he was IWGP champion and he was Triple Crown champion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a Grand Slam, isn't it? I think so. He did, yeah, he did not win GH, uh, GH, uh, Global Crown, champ, uh, Global, Global Honored Crown, Honored the yeah, GHC Championship. Yeah, if he stayed with Noah, he might have. But uh, right, uh, and he he was a UWFI champion too, so you could throw that at. Oh there. yeah, Ruthless Belt. Right, that's sure. great. Oh, and also he beat Aro Vance. You know, for you, right. you know, Europeans, Europe CWA title, and also went to Mexico and won the UWA world title. And then he, his, the various thing was like he won the world championship in five continents, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. of course, I don't know if I forgot if we mentioned it, but the, the, the WCW title, WCW title too. Yeah. Yeah. See, uh, just this, this month, when Vader was inducted into Hall of Fame, WWF Hall of Fame, they did mention that. Yeah, you know this is you know Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they Vader, yeah Vader's wife and and son Jesse came in and made a speech and yeah world heavyweight championship in five different continents. No lie, is is a record for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and this yeah. last champion carnival that he was in, he was it was that was it. This was the the last big. Kind of like if he was a tennis player, if he was Rafael Nadal or right, right, it was his his Australian Open or U.S. Open, right. And also 1999 at the time he was triple crown champion and also champion carnival champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I guess something... that was a, the, the Bader's last very good year, huh? I yeah, I, I mean, as far as just having some of the best matches in his career, I think between. His matches with Kobashi, Misawa, Kawada on that tour. His tag team matches with Stan Hansen, I think later or around that time, too, were uh, it was uh, the last. Yeah, between WCW and UWFI, that uh, Vader came back to New Japan for one match, one match only against Antonio Inoki at the Tokyo Dome. Mm-hmm. One match. Oh, yeah. And that was a really, really good one, too. He almost murdered. Murdered Inoki with his yeah, like a throwaway German suplex, and Inoki landed in his back and, his and knocked back unconscious for yeah, a minute. Yeah, he just folded oh, like a like a rubber band or something. He just totally folded him. Yeah, but uh, Inoki liked it that way though. You know? <laughs> Strong style, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he could take it. And the reason, only reason Vader decided to go back to New Japan for one last match was that Inoki made his, you know, made a phone call on his own. Oh, wow. Yeah, he picked wow. up, he picked up a phone, and there's a almost like a secret communication between Inoki and Vader. If you remember that the big metal figure, you know, gear that the has, sure. you know, smoke come up. Actually, two of those were made. Okay. Initially, yeah. One stayed in New Japan office. Inoki personally gave the other to Leon White. Oh wow! You can have this. Oh, yeah, that's so, cool. So, yeah, so it's in Colorado somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's Still great. to this day. Yeah, New Japan made two of those. Inoki personally gave one to Vader. Yeah. Hmm. And, and uh, Inoki recognized, you know, Vader Leon White as his like, this guy. Would be a superstar, you know, because you can see, see through that. And uh, Vader 
it, you know, became even bigger stir than they anticipated internationally. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the final, the '99 champion in Carnival was definitely the final feather in his his cap, his or his mask, I should say. But because, of course, he was great to watch in Noah, but it wasn't the same. Right, but the Vader respected Misawa so much that the Vader was calling Misawa a star quarterback. Right, right. Yeah, like a locker room reader and in-ring general mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, so they respected so much. So, so all in all, Vader pretty much witnessed, you know, all these, you know, Japanese wrestling landscape. You know, he experienced the debut with Antonio Inoki in New Japan and had a single match against Cho- Ricky Choshu and Fujinami and single match with every single uh, three musketeer, Muto, Chono, Hashimoto, or even Kensuke Sasaki for that matter. Then moved to uh, the UWF International and had a sing- historical single match against Nobuhiko Takara. And at the same time, he went to WCW and then beat Flair, for, uh, no, beat Ron Simmons for the title. Then that dropped the title to Flair, aged Flair, right? And uh, then WWF, single match against the easily you know, forgotten, but there was a single match between Vader against Shawn Michaels, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I wanted that to be such a good match because as a kid, that was such a dream match. But the WWE wouldn't treat Vader the way Vader should be treated, mm. you know, yeah, at the time. But what's really, really unique about Vader is that he not only was he on top of all these positions that he was in during a lot of his runs over his prime in, run yeah yeah but from the late 80s to the early 2000s he was over in japan and he got to see three at least three very different stages of the japanese wrestling business he was over there arguably at its peak especially for the uwfi i mean i think that sure. show was this mass it was like 200 different style too yeah it was it was just um, so many people there um different style as well and then into the late noah or the early noah days or the late 2000s where we say the dark ages sort of sort of yeah but the began. new company was new look and uh, the top program that the misawa wanted to have vader in there mm. the only but, two american wrestlers misawa wanted was the the vader and two called scorpio but I think what's great is that he got to experience that part of the business at different stages in time where I don't think anybody had a perspective because they just couldn't have because it was just the timing of his career. Right, right. And also Stan Hansen was like getting ready to retire for you know for real. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And Vader, yeah. And then the tag team tournament that year, '99, that uh, Stan Hansen wanted to have Vader as his partner and like a handing torch. Yeah, and it's it definitely felt like that. It definitely felt like the main foreigner in Japan after Stan Hansen left was Vader. Had to be Vader. A couple of years. I mean, it wasn't for too long, but uh, at least for the early years of Noah, I think that helped uh, kind of solidify Noah as the top. Mm, yeah, top what's or interesting, most important. you know, is people remember this, you know, 1990 Tokyo Dome card, the, the Stan Hansen against Vader, and Vader's eyeball pops out thing right yeah yeah i mean like a real big feud you know like um, your joe nomo wrestling fan would think you know they must hate each other right but they respected each other Hmm. instead and uh yeah and then stem hansen must have recognized vader must be the guy 
after you know Stan Hansen. Yeah. All right. So how about this? So we covered the the first all the way to two thousand. That's it today. Yeah. But two thousand think... was a Kobashi. Yeah, Kobashi was a, you, know, you know he he won a championship in you know, a champion carnival tournament two thousand one year before pro wrestling nor. So how about I mean, next he's... week? How about next week? We we cover more than nineties and two thousands. We cover up until today because all Japan went through a couple changes in the past twenty years too that we can talk about. Oh God, yeah, the Keiji Muto era of all Japan. And also uh, business between you know New Japan and Old Japan, and and Minoru Suzuki with Old Japan, right? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like Young Tanahashi was in championship in the Champion Carnival tournament too. That's right. Yeah, he had a great yeah. match. I remember with Suama, who was probably at right his... was also golden rookie at the time. Yeah, it was like uh, like watching two thousand eight Tetsuya Fujinami. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was very a heel so. too. 2008 champion carnival final was Suama, young Suama against younger Tanahashi. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Heel, heel Tanahashi with the black trunks and the just <laughs> a, the outsider. You outsider Japan. against yeah, Suama and, and who have a, hero. have a match in front of the old Japan crowd mm-hmm. in front of their Captain America, in front of their Spider Man or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Then 2009 and 10, Minoru Suzuki won two consecutive years uh, championship, champion carnival tournament in all Japan ring. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like, a, God, it's like a lifetimes ago, right? <laughs> I mean, he's he's uh, one of the most popular wrestlers in the States these days. I see him everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also, yeah, he has this, like, a, not the second wind, but the third, fourth wind. You know, he, he's about 54 now, but uh, yeah. it looks like he's still in his prime. Great shape. Yeah. You know, never was that tall, but he was in shape. And also, he is, like, a serious wrestler. Wrestler. He has the experience and background, too. And the whole, just, whole gener- one generation of American wrestler who emulates him, right? I think that's or idolize him. I think that's part of it now, and I think from now until the next five, ten years, you'll see a lot of Suzuki yeah, because people clones. like John Moxley loves Minoru Suzuki and his style. Mm. I think yeah. I, they just uh, had a match here in Chicago, Ishii and um, and Suzuki. Oh right, like a bring you know complete Japanese style match in America. Yeah. That's I, that's been the key. It's been a, a thing that a lot of lot of fans. Oh, have always wanted because you got to realize that the Ricky Choshu and Antonio Inoki and Jumbo Sudo days, w- American fans generally didn't get a chance to see any of that. Right. Ever. Right, that's right. So Ishii and Suzuki Live is for a lot of us watching our Tenru and Jumbo or, or something like that. Um, because right, it's live. In, in terms of a live setting, just a live setting, yeah. just to mm-hmm, see it up mm-hmm. close and in person. I think for a lot of people, it's just not possible to go to Japan. So I think over the weekend. Yeah, and then I think that, that uh, something like Minoru Suzuki and John Moxley kind of thing that is a timeless, you know, Asian feud to be. Now they announce what the Forbidden Doors, right? Like the June pay per view, AEW, New Japan. Yeah, finally happening. And. Uh, that's interesting. When you look back, all these, you know, lineage and and uh, historical matches, actually, there's like a connection to to this today's wrestling. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. especially uh, certain aspects like you're talking about. And w I wonder if we'll see down the road if AEW or any other company starts to do a, a seasonal type of tournament or round-robin tournament where you have singles or tag team matches. Mm, but the AEW is more TV-oriented week That's by right. week, though. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But you never know. There's always uh, there's always avenues that need content like uh, the YouTubes and there are lots of free right. content. And also, necessary. if you create tournament like this, that will be another champion without championship belt. That's that, right. Like uncrowned champion, right? Mm. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see how they do. So I guess we yeah, started with World League, you know, old JWA, Ricky Dozen's eras, World League. That became all Japan's giant Baba's ideas, champion carnival. It started 1973, and right now, this today's All Japan's Champion Carnival taking place, like right now, like a 50th year. 50th year, that's right, with uh, uh, Kento Miyahara as Triple Crown Champion. Right, right. So, it'd be, yeah, it's interesting, same Champion Carnival, and surprisingly enough, they are using same big round globe trophy from hmm. 50 years ago. So if you want the rest of the tradition, it's over in all Japan right now. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Different guys, different wrestler, different generation. But uh, it's just still champion carnival nonetheless. Yeah, well, let's talk about that a little more next week with uh, the 2000s, the Dark Ages. The yeah, 2000 era. all the way till hopefully to 2022. To 2022, the Tajiri era, you could call it, or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we'll get into more of that next week. So how can, if people want to talk about this, ask questions, or leave you comments, how can they yeah, reach send, you? Yeah, send me questions. Yeah, like detailed questions. Um, at Fumihikodayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihikodayo at Twitter, or Fumisaito on Facebook. Message and me I, first. Yeah, message him first for sure, and send a message and tell him what you're emailing them about and i'm at justin m nipper k-n-i-p-p-e-r on twitter so until next week when we talk about the champion carnival in the 2000s up until now when we take it away so long from tokyo Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.